Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. All right, on this episode, man, I have a great conversation with now new author, Bonnie Wan, who wrote The Life Brief. I had Bonnie on my podcast, I don't know, like a year ago, and she's so inspiring and so incredible, and she has her book now out, and it's so great. I I just literally can't say enough good things about it. The number of highlights and post-its I have in this book, it's insane. So this is my conversation with Bonnie. We talk about the life brief. We talk about living a a life of meaning. Um, We talk about so many things. I know you're going to love her. And please, uh, after this episode, uh, go back and listen to the first one because she's, she's just incredible. So I hope you enjoy and I hope you subscribe. Thanks. I am so excited to have my friend Bonnie back on the podcast, and I got to read her book, which we talked about in the first episode of our conversation, so I will link to that in the show notes. Bonnie, how are you? Wow. It's been um, a drinking from the fire hose, uh, but exhilarating in terms of learning new muscles after 30 years of, you know, building my mastery or expertise at one thing. I'm completely thrown into the beginner's mind and starter set of muscles that it takes for starting something new. Yeah. Well, let's 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 update people on um, what you do. So I, I am going to really ask people to listen to the first episode because that's sort of like we get into the history of this, what became this book. Um, so I don't I won't dive all the way back, but could you tell everyone what you do in your in your day job and then. Um, just just a brief thing about what this book is. Sure. I am a 30 plus year career brand strategist. I'm the a partner and head of brand strategy at a storied advertising agency, beloved Goodby Silverstein and Partners in San Francisco. Um, our, our origin story legacy was the Got Milk campaign, not the mustache, but the Got Milk, the truly um, epic storytelling campaign. And we've done everything um, since then. And I've had the just beauty and gift of teaching clients brand strategy, helping companies get crystal clear about the essence of who they are, why they exist, so they can innovate and create from that place of clarity. And and then that led to the life brief. So just again, yes. high level, yeah. because I want people to go back and hear the history, but I, I do want to start off with at least a brief, you know, overview of what it is. Yeah. So it, in 2010, I hit a crisis of meaning in my own personal life. And at the lowest, lowest moment, I, I was married. I had three kids. I now have four. You, you, you beat me on the kids. Um, you have many more than that, but, um, three kids under the age of five. And I didn't know how to hold everything together. And I was really in this crisis of questioning, am I with the right person? Can we hold this big life? I was the primary breadwinner. And at the lowest, lowest moment of despair, a reflex kicked in and I 
did my strategist work on myself, on my own life. I wrote a creative brief for my life, which is what I do with clients, you know, which is um, a really crisp, concise declaration of who they are summed up in one phrase. And I did that for my life and it turned everything around. And we went from the dark chapter of our lives to what I call the golden chapter. Yeah. The mad love. Yes. As I read in the book, (laughs) you found found the mad love. So the book is called, yeah, the book is called The Life Brief. I'm holding it in my hand. As I said to you, it's so beautiful outside and in. I mean, it's like I run a small publishing company. So like, I'm literally like, how can I do something similar even? Because it's so great. So I, there's a link in the show notes. Please go out and buy. Hopefully after we get have this conversation, you'll you'll want to buy um, a copy or two. I'm already, I've already asked you, how can I buy some for some friends that I think uh, need <laughs> it? so much, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, just, oh gosh, I love it. And if people could see, I've got just, notes and post-its all through it. We'll see what we can get through. It, it's so powerful. Um, I did want to share, I, I had forgot that, um, did you went to NYU undergrad yes. or? Yes. Yeah. undergrad. Mm-hmm. So since we last spoke, I, my oldest is now a freshman at NYU in, uh, Congratulations. Tisch. yeah, he's in Tisch for acting and, uh, we're super proud and excited for him. Oh, amazing. My daughter is awaiting her uh, acceptance letters as we speak. So it's very nerve wracking in our house. Yeah, that's a nerve. And and you're launching a book at the same time. So that's, (laughs) that's a lot. (laughs) Lots Um, of nerves. And then I I do want to give a quick shout out to Ashley Jones, who originally connected us. um, Love Not Lost. And she's working on her book, Spoiler. So she's starting a book project. I am so excited for her book. She has so much to say, teach, uh, stories and wisdoms to share. I I will be first in line. Yeah, it's going to be so exciting. Okay, let let's get to to your book. So you mentioned it. 2010 is when sort of this process started for you, and I'm just curious. Like, I mean, I can only assume you've you know now that you've got the book out that you're like really able to continue to live more and more into this being your life's work. I mean, again, I know you do this for the brand side, but to do it for for people, I at one point on our I think this was on the pod. Now I'm getting our podcast conversation and the book confused. But at one point you said your purpose is to shine light on purpose and possibility for others. Is that, yes. did I get yes. it? Okay. Wow. You remembered that's uh thank you for that. For companies, people, for my children, for my marriage, I think as I walk through life, that is the role I play. And I aim that at, in any and all directions. And and now that you have this book, like I just assuming this is a, a launch pad to do more of that work at, at a bigger scale. I hope so. What I love about books or making, uh, creating things, you and I are both in the creative world, um, is that ideas and practices can scale beyond you and your time. Mm-hmm. And that was the first mission with the book is that I started to find momentum behind this idea. People immediately got it. Oh, yes, write a creative brief for my life. But how was the next question? And I was teaching it um, at different companies, at conferences and summits. And that was really blending beautifully with my work at the agency at Goodby Silverstein. And um, and then it just started to expand I found that writing the book was the best way to get very, very clear with people 
all the steps to make it very easy and digestible and and welcoming and what I call irresistible to do some of this deep work. And that exercise made me a better strategist, but it also gave me the opportunity to make it really accessible so people can do it on their own, in their own space, at their own pace, in their own time. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I love so much about the book was that you you just walk this really and and it's no surprise you're you're a writer you're you're you you focus on crisp language like you do such a i thought really great job of bringing the concept to life and then also very practically saying and here's exactly what i want you to do and that and we're going to get into some of the examples and things but i just thought i thought that was you did create something that someone could go through this process i think and cuz cuz i've been going through it I think and really do a lot of this without without you there because obviously this is how you're going to reach more people. So I thought I thought you nailed that and I assume that was part of the goal was sort of the strategic high level but also let's get practical and like sit down, write, you say put things away, get a paper and pen and I want you to write for 10 minutes for 20 minutes. Like it was a hard journey to walk though. And it was exactly my publisher at uh, Simon Element, a division of Simon & Schuster. My editor's vision was to make this so extremely Mm bite-sized and easy to walk for people. But for me, so much of it was intuitive to my strategy work. I had done it for so long that sometimes you stop seeing how you do it. So her guideline for me throughout the writing process was your job is to walk a blind horse down the mountain to get to water and you can only do it through instruction. So that's the lens I worked through every step of the way. How do I break this down into an easier step, a more irresistible step, an inexcusable step? For someone who's never heard of strategy, advertising, I mean, of course, who've heard of advertising, but who doesn't care at all about the business, but really does want to transform their lives. Yeah, that's such a great analogy. Um, I love it. I love it. One of the things you say, um, again, I actually think this was in the podcast, but as I re-listened, it really struck me. You said, the answers we seek so often lie in the questions we avoid. and the power of the questions you ask the reader to ask themselves and write down uh, the answers to. And and I just, it's so, it's so powerful, but it's so simple. Some of these questions. Um, So I just wanted to say that one of the things I do want to ask you is what's the youngest person you've ever had go through this process with you? Um. Not with me, but the youngest person I know who has gone through it in its most um, nascent form was a middle schooler, a a good friend of my uh, daughter's. And then more recently, I spoke, I actually did an entire conference in Jackson Hole, and there were some high school seniors and juniors in the audience. And they came up and said, we want to make our senior year project the life brief. Oh, that's so awesome. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. That's so so great. Okay. Well, the the reason I ask is because when like, you know, we, we, we talked about this, the the sort of connection between purpose and your life brief and, you know, they're, they're sort of intertwined and, and you talk about that in the book. 
one of the things when I get a chance, like I, every semester, I talk to a specific class at Georgia State here in Atlanta. And one of the things I talk to them about is when I found my purpose and I was 35, it took me till then to find it. And I do say to them, you know, that that's my only regret is that it took me so long to find it. But I also think maybe it took me that long to be ready to find it. And so I, my question was sort of like, how young is too young? The life brief actually, I think, is more applicable to almost any age. And I think maybe purpose specifically. I don't know if you're 14 and you really can know your purpose. Maybe you can, but you might need to live 10 more years before you can see it. You know what I mean? But the life brief, the questions you ask, anybody can go through that process and, and ask themselves, what do they really, really want? And that's the starting question. And I personally, after doing this work, I'm not sure that there is a singular purpose, although I, I'm very clear about my existence, right? Mm -hmm. My why in the world. But I think everybody can be more purposeful in all of the relationships in their lives, whether that's a relationship to another person, a parent, a child, a sister, a partner or the relationship you have with work, whether it's your career, your day job, your vocation, your side hustle, your joy, and then your relationship with yourself. All of those relationships can be made more purposeful when you ask yourself these questions, when you allow yourself to reflect. But many people I've met along the way are afraid of their answer. So the reason they avoid the question to begin with is they're afraid that the answer on the other side of those questions are going to disrupt what they've created. They're going to um, throw them off course. But the fact is, is the course that they're currently on is one of frustration or restlessness or anxiety or emptiness. Yet... They're afraid of something scarier. But every time I have worked with others and done it for myself, what I've found is the answers on the other side of these questions are surprisingly richer and um, a source of hope, not a source of fear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, okay. I'm going to... Is it okay if I read some passages? Yes. And ask you about please. them? Okay. Let me, let me flip to my first... Uh, my first post-it here. Um, okay, so here's something that you said. To get to the essence of what I really wanted, I, I would need to cut through the clutter of my confusion. To make it manifest, I'd have to clearly and boldly declare what I wanted so that I could act on it. And for it to be meaningful and genuinely motivating, I had to make it sticky and brief. The sticky and brief part oh, is like, I love... Start with why. I love the stuff Simon Sinek talks about. Mm. But it's not sticky and brief to me. You know, it's very high-minded and and like really smart. But it took me two or three times reading that to to finally figure out what I and I just thought the sticky and brief part that it's it's I mean, it's so on brand, if I can make a pun, um, to somebody in the advertising world, because you have to do that. You have to lead a team to march towards something on a single piece of paper. So the sticky and brief, like did you, was that just natural to you to, to constantly bring it back to, I got to make this tight. I got to get this succinct or was it easy to sort of sprawl out and go, Oh no, I got to pull myself back. Well, the get messy part, which is part one yep. of the book, right? There's three parts, get messy, get clear, get active. You can't get clear if you haven't made a mess. Right. And what I mean is dump out 
all of the ingredients in writing so that you can be in relationship with it, step back, look at it, and then you can find the clarity because you can pull it out of the piles of writing that you've put down. And so it's very hard to get clear if you're just working with air or thoughts that are, you know, swimming and swirling around and probably repeating themselves a lot. Mm -hmm. Sharp and sticky is something we do at the agency. It is the key to unlocking action, innovation, creativity. Yeah. Because it has to, great strategies get tattooed into the brains and the hearts of great leaders, right? So an organization cannot change. If each of its C-suite leaders are working off a different goal or ambition. And so we try to get things really sharp and sticky so that when, when the one medical team, you know, walks away, they know they're about real life care. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole document that goes with real life care that explains all the strategy, but the center, the essence of it is sharp and sticky. It's real life care. Right. We do health care for people who live real lives. Mm-hmm. So we're not about um, making them drive 45 minutes to come to get an appointment, see a doctor. We're going to do remote care where they can call at two in the morning when their two-year-old is vomiting and they don't know why. So it's the same for the life brief. I don't want people to have to go digging around the vault of their laptop and go, where's my life brief? Where's my life brief? But if I remember that my marriage brief is mad love. Yeah. I've written lots of stuff around what mad love means to me and my husband, but all I have to think about is mad love and Mm -hmm. it boom, evocative. All the whole brief comes to bear. And when he now says mad love, it's a reminder to me, we now have shared language that, oh yeah, have we got caught up in the busyness of our lives? Are we two trains in the middle of the night? Okay, we need to come back together because it's in that fire of desire, respect, mm-hmm. and love for each other that everything else comes out of. Yeah. Well, you're you're very um, open and vulnerable in your book, and Chip is a main character, your husband, <laughs> in the book. <laughs> um, I, I have to ask: Is he obviously he he must be, but is he fine with these? You know, his sort of life being out there in this book that I know is going to be a bestseller. Like, is he cool oh with it? <laughs> I like to say Chip is the strongest man I know. You know, he 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 is our lead parent at home with our four kids, and he enables me to do big work in the world, um, agency work and life work. And I say he's the strongest man I know because I don't know a lot of partners who would allow their spouse to go out in the world and be so public about our problems. And that has been a journey for us over the years. Um, But we went to Mexico on vacation this summer and he, I I got my first advanced copies, galleys of the book, and Mm -hmm. he read it end to end while we were in Mexico. And I held my breath, I think the whole time, just watching him at the cafe, watching him, you know, on the lounge chair, reading it. And when he closed the book and said, I love this. Mm. I'm so proud of you. That was the moment that I could release. Oh, what a moment. That's so great. That's so great. Well, I I was a big fan of him (laughs) in the book (laughs) as a character in the book. Okay. Let me see. Um, 
let me let me read this next part um uh that i highlighted it says the art of the life brief is to cut away things that are misleading or distracting doubts drama thoughts and fears that weigh us down fail to inspire or detract from the essence of what matters most when you cut that away, you create a clearing so that you can zero in and redirect your mind, center your heart, and focus your attention. It's here in this place where clarity appears and change begins. Shining a light on what's essential puts you on the path toward your unadulterated, most audacious vision. The life brief becomes your constant reminder of that vision, easy to remember because it's sharp and sticky and motivating. There's that sharp and sticky and motivating part. A question I have for you is, I know you've done this for lots of individuals. Have you ever taken a team as a whole through a brief? Like, is there a team brief that you've done? Um, a lot of the work yeah. that I do around purpose is to, it's almost, I started the opposite of you. I started with how do you put purpose into teams and, and companies? And then I've helped some friends try to find their own purpose, but it's mostly been teams. And it seems like you've started with, well, you started with the the creative brief, but I'm just curious, do you think this could work? Has it worked for a team, a group of people who need to get on the same page? But these questions seems like they, they would still be relevant. Well, I have two answers for that. It actually originated with teams because at the agency, I lead what we call brand camp, which is aligning the highest level, most senior teams in a company, the C-suite mm -hmm. around what they stand for. Right. And that one medical example is one of those real life examples of that, um, because they used to be characterized as the spa of healthcare, mm -hmm. <laughs> and nobody wants to pay a lot of money for a spa in healthcare, you know, maybe a very finite niche audience. So when it was the process, right, very similar to this of getting to the sharp and sticky essence of what, who we are so that we yeah. can innovate from that place, you know, based on the mission we originated it with. So in many ways, this was born out of aligning teams mm -hmm. around sharp and sticky strategies. But as far as personal life briefs among teams, um, I've been selling these little tiny workbooks, you know, um, these, it was a predecessor to the book, just really thought starters that went along with my talks and workshops and teams were buying them up. So the mm -hmm. first team uh, order I got was from Wyden and Kennedy, um, an account director bought all these little workbooks for her team because she wanted to align them. Um, not just professionally, but she wanted to give the gift to her team okay. so that they felt seen and that she could connect the dots between, hey, when you thrive in your personal life, you're mm -hmm. going to thrive in your work life because they're interconnected. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, I'm not surprised that there was a connection there, but it felt like it could be applied there. Um, okay. Let me see this next part. Th this, this next part, um, I think is what it's, it's the, it, it's the experience I went through in finding my purpose. Um, so I'm just going to read this. Um, and then, and then I'll explain. So you wrote too often, our deeper desires get masked by the trappings of conventionality. We strive towards milestones. Other people have laid out rather than following our curiosity and mapping a course towards what we desire from the depths of our being. Most of us are living from the outside in listening to and living by advice from other people's voices, be it friends, family, or culture at large, voices that tell us this is what you should want. Outside-in living happens when we follow rules and expectations set by others because it's either what we've been conditioned to do 
or what we feel pressured to do. That is so in, just insightful. I think so many of us live our lives according to what we think society expects from us and what we should be doing. And what this book does, and I'm going to get to sort of, it It felt like therapy. Um, <laughs> it, it forces you to break out of that and get to the depth of what's inside of you. And the way you do it, it forces you to forget about all the crap that everybody else is saying and you get deep. And I just, I don't know if there's a question in there, but that to me, that passage is what I think to me was the breakthrough with, with what you've created. There are so many people who are living their lives because they think, well, this is what is expected of me. You've got a great story. I'm going to get to, I want to say his name was Marcus. I'll get to it about a, somebody who made a decision in their career when they went through this process. So, um, I don't know if you want to react to that again, I should have had a proper podcast question, but like, oh my gosh, that no, part. Just I think you pinpointed the the problem we experience individually, collectively as a society. And not all of those voices are bad intentioned. Right. They're actually out of love. And as a parent, I can see how easy it is to do that. Even though I believe and live by this philosophy, it's all too easy for any parent to love their kids hard and want to keep them safe. You know, when my parents told me, we're not going to pay for you to go to art school because artists are poor people. That was out of love. Mm. You know, that wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't that they wanted to be mean or bad or restrictive. They were protecting me right. from a future of poverty or what they thought was was poverty until I got into advertising as this beautiful intersection between creativity and business. And I said, hey, mom and dad, guess who makes the big bucks in advertising? <laughs> the artists, yeah. you know, and yep. but so it's well intentioned, but we all it is human nature and um, and and it's very easy to buy into those pressures and to inherit yeah. the definitions of what a good life means, of what su success looks like, what a good partnership looks like. Um, so some of us are without models, healthy models for relationships, and some of us have antiquated definitions that mm -hmm. we're chasing or somebody else's definition. And the questions start to unlock, wait, what have you learned? Mm -hmm based on your experience, based on your beliefs. And we just peel that back really gently so that you can reflect on that. And if you capture it in writing, then you start to see things. And there's something beautiful about writing because there is a lot of invitation here to write. Mm -hmm. And I have a poet friend who um, I, I took writing classes from, Roger Housden, and he said, writing rearranges the furniture of our minds. Mm -hmm. And so what this means is I have a lot of clients or people I've worked with who have stories in their heads. And then when they start dumping those thoughts and ideas down on the page, they see a complete contradiction between what they've been thinking and what's on the page. And just a couple of weeks ago, somebody said to me, I've been telling myself, I don't know what I want. I, I really don't know what I want. Oh my gosh, how am I going to get there? But when I looked through two weeks of writing exercises, it was right there. Yeah. Every day I was writing what I want. It was so clear. I might have used different words from one day to the next, but I absolutely know what I want. 
Yeah. That's why, you know, yes, you, I, I am sure that I'll get to some of the passages I highlighted where you talk about the power of writing. I think maybe that quote you mentioned is even in the book. There is a quote about writing in the book. I, I think yeah. I highlighted, but the, the power of it, that's why I say it, it feels like therapy in some way, like self therapy, the, the, the act of writing and especially in the way that you instruct it, I think, um, it's it, it it's powerful in a way that it just forces you to get to clarity. I think. Um, well, the therapy I, comment is a fun one because I've been surprised at how many therapists and therapy podcasts I've been invited to join. And I'm not a therapist, but I have discovered that strategy at its essence isn't that far away from therapy. Yeah. And Lori Gottlieb is one of the one of the esteemed therapists who, you know, blurbed about my book. Um, it's on the cover. And I was just really, yeah, blown away. And, so amazing. Yeah, yeah, so amazing. Um, all right. I found the passage where you talk about Marcus. Um, yes. Um, Essentially, I thought this was so, so powerful and speaks to what we were talking about a minute ago. Basically, Marcus is is uh, applying for the CMO position at his company. And um ultimately realizes, well, here, I'll, I'll say it. As soon as Marcus, real, Marcus realized this, he saw that the CMO position would be a mistake. He would be leaving a position he loved to go back to a pattern that had perpetually failed to satisfy him. He rescinded his application and leaned wholeheartedly into the job he already had. Again, you have society, the world, whoever telling him like, you got to keep moving up. You got to keep going. You know, CMO is the next thing. It's the prestigious thing. And yet he was very happy in what he was doing. And I'm sure he's far more satisfied in his role. So that's a, that was such a simple thing, but I thought, wow, how powerful, because again, listening to yourself versus listening to others, it can take your life in directions you never really wanted to go in the first place. Yes. And it makes, um, satisfaction and joy and fulfillment elusive. If we're chasing somebody else's definition of it, I find this acutely for men. Mm. So the men I've worked with, because we Society has a very strong uh, established definition for men, you know, and that's been passed down for generations and generations of how, you know, that you are the breadwinner, you are the oak tree for your family, you are, you know, um, the person who goes and has all the answers. And I find having a son that's incredibly restrictive. Yet when I, open up the paths for my son, it's confusing because the world will shape him. <laughs> the world has many more narratives that yeah. come about my own. Um, but yeah, we, we, we have very narrow definitions of success and what it looks like to be a meaningful life. Marcus was a creative person, deeply soulful, an incredible leader, but he was chasing these big titles that had all kinds of analytics, expectations, you know, things that he he could do, he's capable of, but brought him no joy. And then he was chasing big name companies that were sexy, that felt attractive, you know, um, that had good name value, brand value on his resume, yeah. but they were cutthroat cultures. And that made him miserable at the end of the day. So when, when writing work briefs with people, I try to get them to focus on how do you want to experience work? So, and, and get them beyond the typical 
you know, tangibles, company name, title, salary level, paycheck, you know, and get into what is the day-to-day experience you want to have? How do you want to show up every day? Who are the people, the conditions you want to work around? Mm -hmm. And often what they're chasing in the tangibles is has a complete ocean of difference between what they actually want to experience. Yeah. It's so, it's so powerful. Um, I did find, so the next passage I had was exactly what you said a minute ago. Writing rearranges the furniture of your minds, um, says poet Roger Housden. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So funny that I had, I had highlighted that. Um, okay. Let's see. Yeah. You know, there's a part where you talk about, um, you can write, you can even just write, I don't know what to write over and over until something else surfaces. And that's where I made the note. Wow. This feels like therapy. <laughs> like it really, like as much as one might be able to practice self therapy, which I don't know if that's a term or not, but like, it does feel like you've pushed hard on that. So the, the analogy you gave earlier of guiding a blind horse down the mountain or whatever, it resonates. I mean, cause you, 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 you explain in such a way that even if I'm struggling, I can just, okay, I can do that. And then after four or five times, it's like, oh, I do have something, some thoughts bubbling up. I call it self-activating, that mm. I wrote the book to be self-activating because great strategy unlocks a shit ton of creative possibility, you know, and that's my job as a strategist is to anchor companies, distill and anchor them in what makes them distinct their Mm -hmm. essence so that they can, and then express that essence in a way that unlocks all kinds of potential and possibilities because a great creative brief has to get sharp and sticky, as we said, right? It has to point to what is this company and brand all about, but it has to express it in a way that is explosive and expansive for a creative person or a a product development person or a salesperson in the company to go, I'm excited to share this in the world. And now I have five different ideas for how to get people rallied around it. I love it. I love it. Um, Okay. So here's another, you, you, again, you hit on being caught up in keeping up with the Joneses. One specific thing you wrote, it happens when we believe that our community's metrics for success are more important than our own sense of fulfillment. Again, like I have so many friends who've climbed the corporate ladder um, and they find themselves completely unfulfilled. So I think you you nailed that. Um, a topic I want to get to here is you, you talk about resume values versus eulogy values. Mm-hmm. And that was to, to me, one of the more powerful um, section. So let me just read this paragraph. Harvard professor Tom DeLong teaches that there is friction between our resume values and our eulogy values. Resume values drive our tangible achievements, the things we list on our CVs about who we are by way of what we've accomplished. Our eulogy values, on the other hand, offer clues to our deeper callings, what we hope to be remembered for at the end of our lives and the legacy we'd like to leave behind. I've given a few eulogies and I didn't list there what they achieved and the places they worked and all this stuff, right? I talked about the essence of who they were. So, oh, I just thought that whole, and then you you, you sort of lead us through figuring out our eulogy values and stuff. But can you talk about that for a minute? Because I felt like that was so powerful. Yeah. And I want to talk about the tension between the two. Mm. What I love about Tom DeLong and what he teaches 
is that it's in the tension between what we want to accomplish and achieve in our lifetime with how we want to be remembered. It's in that tension that is the momentum that moves us forward, but it's agitating. It's not comfortable. And the invitation is to not say one is better than the other and that you have to forsake one for the other. It's that you want to harness the agitation between the two to move you forward in life because we are in this lifetime here to do stuff. We yeah. want to do stuff. We want to provide for our families. We want to, um, you know, uh, d- experience the heightened sense of accomplishment, um, not necessarily for other people, but for ourselves. So that's valuable. But it's in that tension where I'm like, I'm not doing enough that has meaning. Wait, but I'm not applying it enough to real things. You know, that that's where the juice is for me. And I say to people, lean into the agitation. Stop complaining about it. Stop resisting it. Stop thinking that life is supposed to be comfortable Mm. because comfort is a cornerstone of privilege. And it's, you'll last about two minutes. Yeah, I love it. Powerful. So powerful. Um, I wanted to talk about juice for a second. This Mm. I didn't know about you. So, so here's what you wrote. And then I want to hear what this was all about. Years before I introduced my colleagues to the life brief, I had co-founded a company called juice with a mission to help people uncover and name their strengths and motivations, essentially what gets them juiced. I love that. In many ways, it was a beta version of the life brief, a short lived precursor that went dormant until it was reawakened a decade later. Juice, what a cool concept. <laughs> talk about that just for a second. I really love juice. <laughs> it was way before its time. It was way before my time. You yeah. know, I think uh, great ideas percolate and they're there and they'll rear their head again when um, when the time is right. But juice was truly the beta for this. I, I I saw the idea and opportunity really early on in my career. Hey, wow, this strategy stuff, this could really help people, not just companies. But I hadn't lived life at all at mm-hmm. that time. I didn't know what it meant to, to go through the things that I have now survived and thrived through. I didn't know what it meant to change jobs or question your career. I didn't know what it meant to parent. I wasn't even married at that time. Um, And now I think it really took me being the guinea pig of this, me really sifting through the rawness and the realness of conflict in life, of agitation, of questioning, of fear and anxiety before I could see how this could really work. And then now I've prototyped it with so many people, you know, over the last 14 years, it's finally, I think, baked. I love it. Well, I kind of wish juiced had existed and that sounds (laughs) such a cool concept. I wanted a juice bar where we (laughs) can help people. I love it. Um, fantastic book. I'll I'll let people, I've got again, a bunch more highlights, but I'll, I'll let people read the book. Um, are you going to do a, an audio version? I've already done it. It's out. Okay. It's in my voice. It's not, yes, it it is out, out in the world. 
Great, great, great. All right. Well, then I'll be listening to that. Um, I, I just want to say you're really doing a lot of great here. I mean, you're, you're going to change lives and I know you've already changed lives. I mean, just the stories that you, we've talked about in the ones in the book, but like, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. So I'm thrilled Jeff, to have this so conversation. Oh, it it means so much to me, Jeff, to one, be your guest for the second time. As I said, before we got on, that was one of the mo my most favorite talks, even to date, our first one, because it was so real and rich. Um, you are living an intentional life. And that's, uh, that's what so many people I meet want to do. And so thank you for modeling it. And thank you for kind of sharing this practice with people to help them do it too. And it is a practice, as you point out. It's not a it plan. It is a practice. It's a practice. It gets easier the more you do it. This is not yeah. a one and done thing. I, and I love that concept too. That that was very important. You know, it's a, you got to keep revisiting it as you talk about the different life briefs you've had. Bonnie, thanks for joining me again. I'm I'm so happy when you come on your tour through Atlanta. Um, I want to be there to support you. We'll get a crowd. It's gonna it's gonna be great. Um, uh, I guess last question. Um, are you already thinking about book two? <laughs> no, no, not yet. Um, but I would like, I, I've met so many people with such inspiring stories for how they journeyed through their own struggle, questions, transformation, clarity, um, that I would love to share those out in the world at some point. Yeah, I think you should. All right. Thanks again, Bonnie. It was so good to see you. Thank you, Jeff. It's always good to see you. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening. 